You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show is live on Tuesday and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at 3 p.m. And we're heard exclusively here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net. We're broadcasting from their state-of-the-art, brand-new studios in the tech space offices in Costa Mesa, California. If you're listening to this show in the future as a podcast, we do encourage you to consider listening to the show live during our broadcast times each week. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Smart Stop Self Storage, Commerce National Bank, and Smart Business Magazine. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, make better and more informed business decisions. If you are listening to us live today and you'd like to join the conversation with one of our two guests, simply find the community chat room section of octalkradio.net's website, log in with your Twitter handle. This will bring you right to our nerve center, to our engineer, Paul Roberts. He can bring your thoughts and ideas to my attention, and possibly I can work them into one of the two interviews that I have planned today. If you're tuning in to Critical Mass Radio Show, expecting to hear my interview with Tyler Russell, founder of KX95.5 FM, you'll have to wait. He'll be our second guest on the program. Our first guest today is Dr. David Jones, President and CEO of Higher Payoff. Dr. Jones, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Rick. Why don't we begin by you just telling us a little bit about your professional experience, kind of your background, and your path to your current firm. Sure, Rick. Uh, The background is pretty straightforward. Uh, Back in the late 1980s, I started a company called HR Strategies, an HR consulting company. And where we really put our energy was helping organizations find out how to hire the best people, how to find them, how to assess them, and how to hire them. And that company grew throughout the U.S. with offices all over the country. And then we actually moved into Europe, started offices there in uh, Eastern, all the way into Central Europe, even into Moscow in the early 1990s. We grew that company up to a size where we were working with most of the Fortune 100 companies And in about the mid-90s, we sold the company to what today is called Aon Hewitt. And the company continued to grow. I was the global head of HR Consulting for the enterprise at that point. And we grew. We created technology solutions. We created hiring solutions. We actually created some of the things that are out there today, like recruitment process outsourcing and some of the technology bases that are used to find candidates in the marketplace but to make sure you found the right ones as well. And we had a great time doing that. We transitioned into this firm that you've introduced as Higher Payoff today, which really does the same thing, but does it taking advantage of today's technology and, frankly, taking advantage of some of today's legal requirements and making sure employers meet those when they screen candidates to bring them into the job. So, Dr. Jones, Kind of back to your earlier experience taking and creating a firm that became an international firm doing what you were doing. Uh, can you share with our audience who are mostly business owners, CEOs, top executives here in Southern California, but also across the country? And because our Internet footprint here on octalkradio.net, we do have international audience. Uh, how, much hire, how much is common whether you're hiring and ad- adhering to the laws and regulations in the U.S.? or maybe one of the um, countries on the continent in Europe? How much commonality is there? Well, this is the thing that's really interesting because, yes, a lot of the the laws, the statutes are different depending upon which country you're in, obviously. But when it comes to finding talent and when it comes time to screening, assessing, and deciding which people you really want to bring into the organization, there's not that much difference. As we talk about when we deal with our client organizations, you can really boil things down to kind of two dimensions, whether somebody you're looking at as a candidate can do the job you've got in line and whether they will do the job you've got in mind. Those two concepts and the way you go about screening people and evaluating people for a job to see if they've got what the job demands really is independent of the culture you move into or the country you move into. Sometimes you do the assessment in slightly different ways, but the basic principles really apply 
wherever you go. And that's why we've been able to start that kind of a service in the U.S., but carry it very quickly for U.S. companies into some of their foreign operations, but then also apply it to companies that reside in those foreign locations as well. Because it's the can-do and the will-do of a person that determines whether they're going to do what you need them to do. And the key thing is deciding and defining whether a given candidate has it or doesn't. So would you take a minute for our audience, since you've introduced kind of, I think, a new way to look at the hiring process as in can-do skills and will-do qualities, could you, could you share with our audience kind of what are the difference between those and how does your firm measure these two aspects of potential candidates? Sure. I mean, in a very basic way, the can-do qualities are things like knowledge, skills, abilities, the things you've got to know to be able to do a job, and they're important. And what we found through a lot of research is they're really important when somebody is new to a job. Those kind of attributes are what determine whether you get up and get running quickly. But the other things, the will-do side, are the things that people often call workplace personality or personality characteristics. So there's things like drive, commitment, dependability, even things like employee engagement that are different from the can-do. But what we've found is that over time, the longer a person is in a job, the longer a person is with a company, it's those will-do qualities that determine whether they succeed or not. So we found that the can-do is what drives getting up to speed and performing quickly, but the will-do is what makes you grow. And the will-do is what ensures that you're going to perform in the long term and keep proceeding. And you can dig deeper into those, particularly in some of the personality dimensions of those will-do qualities, and find out that most people have what we call a bright side, some of the positive characteristics they need to bring with them. But most people also have a bit of a dark side, the things that work against them. And part of what you really need to assess when you're looking at a candidate is not only the whole realm of those will-do qualities, but you got to look at the bright side and the dark side and decide whether somebody's bringing exactly what you need. And what we brought out to the marketplace are the kind of screening tools, screening devices. Some people call them tests that a person can take at the very early stages of a screening process to see whether they meet both those can-do and will-do qualities that a particular job requires. Do you uh, find in your experience in working with the clients that you work for that you sort of have to explain the will-do qualities? I would think the can-dos are shown on the resume and their track record, and people are very comfortable screening through the interview process for the can-do skills, but maybe aren't as versed or competent or even comfortable asking about and trying to find out about the will-do qualities. Well, you know, one of the things that kind of comes as a surprise um, when I go out and work with uh, individuals and organizations, not HR people, actually, people in the operations side of the business, and you ask them, what are your problems today? What are people doing correctly? What are they not doing correctly? I've had people basically come back and throw the same kind of language at me saying, you know what, we've got people who can do the work here, but we don't have the ones who will do the work here. So what we find out is that organizations understand this concept very well. The only concerns that some have is that they'd like to evaluate a person's will-do qualities, but they're not sure you can do that if you give them a test or an assessment device. What they're afraid of is that somebody can fake it. Mm. You can just answer questions the way you think the organization would want you to answer them, whether that's what you are or not, and get the job and fake your way into it. But what our challenge is and what we've been able to develop over time are the kind of formats and questions and answer tools and scoring procedures for these tools that filter out that faking kind of capability so that we can look at how a person answers questions 
And we can be confident. We know, did they fake it or didn't they? And can we put confidence in the kind of results that we've got? Right. And we've set up study after study to analyze and come to the conclusion that the tools we've got are really not that fakeable because when we use them and when we then hire people, the yes. ones who can qualify on these tools, we track them. Okay. We see how they then perform on the job. We follow what we call a continuous improvement kind of model Excellent. to track the people we've hired, see how they scored, so to speak, on these tools, and then see how they perform on the job. Well, that's excellent. And we verify that, indeed, it worked, and we look for ways to make it work even better. All right. Well, in the old days, in the 1990s, that's what manufacturing companies called Six Sigma, right. continuous improvement. Absolutely. And that's what we do when we implement these kind of programs for an organization. We're talking we about don't just say, trust us, this works. We say, let's track it and see if we can make it work better. All right, Dr. Jones. I'm talking with Dr. David Jones, President and CEO of Higher Payoff, and we've got a bunch of other questions that I want to get to them. We're going to take a commercial break. When I come back, Dr. Jones, I'd like you to address how your firm is protecting against legal issues when using your higher payoff assessments to decide whether or not to hire a new employee. So, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. We're interviewing here on Critical Mass Radio, so Dr. David Jones, and we'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Got stuff to the right, more stuff to the left. Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step. So I smart stopped and took a minute to think. I need a little better spot, not under the sink. With smart stop, I leave the stress at the door. Cause it's the smart old way to store. Smart stop bucks the system. Your first month's rent is just a buck. Your next three months are half off. Call 888-97-STORAGE and mention this station. Goodbye clutter, hello floors. Smart stop, the smarter way to store. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This show today is one in a series of weekly broadcasts and programs that air exclusively here on octalkradio.net. If you know of a potential guest for our program or one of our other programs, such as our manufacturing program, which airs on Tuesdays from 4 to 5 p.m., our nonprofit show, which features executive directors and leaders of nonprofit organizations, which is on the last day of the month that we air a show, which varies each week and each month. If you do know people who you think would be interesting guests, then please contact us by finding our contact page on our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. All right, let's return our attention to Dr. David Jones. He's president and CEO of Higher Payoff. Before the break, Dr. Jones, I said I was going to ask you to talk about the legal issues around using assessments. Can you share your best practices with our audience, please? Sure can. That's one thing that's kind of unfolded here in the last uh, decade or so. We've done a great deal of expert witnessing work in cases where employers have used these kind of tools and then been challenged. They've been challenged by governments, whether federal or state. They've been challenged by private plaintiff groups who claim your testing process isn't fair. Your testing process is discriminatory. And you can't prove that it works. And what we've taken by all this expert witnessing kind of experience we've got is put in place models for actually showing that these kind of programs work. Where, as I said a few minutes ago, 
you put in a process that tracks people who have been screened and assessed and hired to make sure that the kind of profile you produced on each of those people really explains how they perform on the job. So one of the key things we try to emphasize to employers we work with is we can put a tool in place, but it's important to monitor it, to make sure it's working. Because if you do that, history shows that you can push back on any challenge you're likely to receive. If you can show that a tool works, that it predicts productivity, that it predicts absenteeism, tenure, supervisory evaluations of people's performance, if you can produce that kind of data, and it's not that difficult to do with today's technology, you can defend a process if you're challenged by someone who you put through it and you don't hire, and then they come back and claim that you've used a system that's just not fair. Right. So a lot of what's happening these days is getting these kind of recruiting and screening and hiring processes structured in the right way uh-huh. using today's technology so that if you're challenged, you can push back very quickly. And you don't need to spend months and months on legal fees to demonstrate that what you're doing is the right thing. And that's become kind of a central piece of what we carry out to the marketplace today. That sounds like one of the additional benefits of uh, a client working with your firm is they get that capability in case they are challenged by using your process and by using your firm. In addition to finding the ideal candidates that help their bottom line one hire at a time. That's right. All right. Why don't we look back into your experience a little bit i like to ask this question on occasion here on critical mass radio show for those loyal listeners you know that i like to ask a couple different anchor questions when the guest you know and the opportunity presents itself so i want to ask you about a painful business lesson something that you learned in your career that you carry with you today could you relate a past experience that at the time seemed to maybe come through a difficult or painful experience oh there's more than one but i can tell you the key thing is you grow a business as you add offices, as you add people, as you add products. The key thing you have to look at every step, every decision you make is, why do I expect this is going to work? You know, as I developed our HR consulting practice, we expanded beyond this idea of recruiting and screening and hiring the right people and added other business segments as well. We were kind of at the cutting edge of technology as it began emerging in the mid-1990s. Things like today in the social media recruiting industry, we were kind of at the, at the cutting edge of developing that. The data tracking, the data analytic kind of tools that are out there these days to see what's working and what isn't, we were kind of at the cutting edge of developing that as well. And the key thing I found, and there's mistakes included here, is that Something can sound really good, but the question is, do you have the data to show that it works? Hmm. Have you investigated just how much time, how much money it's going to take to produce something new? Do you have good data about whether it's really needed in the marketplace? Do you have organizations interested enough in it that perhaps they don't want to pay you to design it for them, but they're willing to work with you as you design it for them to make sure it works? And sometimes you make a decision that doesn't go through all of those steps. Those decisions, more often than not, don't work. The steps where you can find somebody else interested enough in one of your ideas to work with you right. as you bring it to creation and as you prepare it for market, I think is what you do. When you just have a great idea and push forward to develop it, in my judgment, the chances are better than even it's not going to work. I spent a lot and I'm sorry. I was going to say I spent a lot of years in uh, technology sales, and and uh, that's a common refrain for technology. Sometimes companies sometimes they invent something without realizing if there's a market for it or not. Exactly. Build it, and they will come. Many times, unfortunately, they don't come. But a collaboration with some key clients or prospective clients really is a powerful indication that your idea has legs in the marketplace, isn't it? That's what makes it real. If somebody else thinks your idea is good enough, they want to work with you to create it, independent of whether they're paying for it, that's the first cue that it's likely to work. 
You know, we have about five minutes left here for your part of the interview today here on Critical Mass Radio Show, Dr. Jones. And I wanted to ask you, I know that you wrote a book, The Million Dollar Hire, which shows how to link hiring decisions to bottom line results, which is incidentally a tagline that I see that you feature in your website and in your marketing. Uh, I wonder if you could share with our audience some of these real-world hiring systems that you describe in your book. Sure, happy to. I mean, what's in the book, essentially, is what we've done over about a decade to 15 years of time. And we talk about some of the systems we've designed for the some of the biggest organizations in the world where we might have developed the process in the U.S., but then we took it to Europe, we took it to Asia, we took it all over the planet because it worked, regardless of where we were. And we have examples of those kind of programs. But I'll tell you the one example that really, I think, is beginning to capture attention today is begin and is beginning to hold value today is this concept that you hear about more and more in the workplace that's called employee engagement. And what that concept typically means is, do we have people here who want to work with us and who have the drive, the motivation, the intent to work with our organization and make us successful? Do we have people who will stay here with us as opposed to turning over as soon as someone offers them just a little bit better job? And what we talk about in the book and what we're learning more and more about as we do additional research here over the past few years is that if you put together the right kind of recruiting and screening process, you can actually screen people in terms of whether they're going to bring that concept of engagement with them if you hire them. Oh, really? A lot of people think employee engagement is the responsibility of management. I'm in that camp. And what management does determines whether an employee becomes engaged. Well, that's partly true. But the way we see it, it's a two-way street. Okay. Some people come in much more likely to engage, and if you then do the right thing, they become the core of your organization. Other people, regardless of what you do, will not engage because it's not their nature. Right. And part of the tools we've developed here, actually over about the last two years, and that we began talking about in Million Dollar Hire, are tools that screen people not only who are going to be good performers, but people who will engage and stay with us as good performers. And I think that's kind of the cutting edge in today's world of recruiting and hiring. Find people who can do it and will do it, but find people who will engage and keep doing it. That's where we're trying to be the cutting edge once again. Well, I think that's amazing findings, and um, I like teachable moments here on Critical Mass Radio Show. You've given us several throughout the interview. You left us an anchor one, though, here towards the end of your interview because I was unaware that some people are predisposed to uh, the opportunity to be an engaged employee more than others, and if you can source that through your hiring process, that is a powerful addition to a to a standard and traditional hiring process. That's, it's that's amazing. It's a cutting edge today. Oh, that's amazing. Um, if someone would like to get in touch with you or learn more about your firm or possibly your book and buy it, how do they get in touch with you and find you online? Easiest thing online is to find us at Hire Payoff, and that's H-I-R-E payoff.com. Or if you want to just come and look at the book, it's Million Dollar Hire, million hyphen dollar hire.com. Either one of those ways you can communicate with us, and anybody that has a question, we'd love to talk and love to suggest some answers. Well, I've enjoyed the brief time that we've spent with you today. Thanks for just kind of touching on a number of different topics, being our guest, Dr. David Jones, President and CEO of Higher Payoff. I appreciate you being a friend of the program, and welcome to the Critical Mass business community. Great to be here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our second commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show, beaming live on octalkradio.net. And when we come back, our second guest, Tyler Russell, will be here in studio. Stay tuned after these words from our commercial sponsors. The company made the switch to Commerce National Bank about six months ago. Our relationship officer was there every step of the way to make the transition as seamless as possible. We had an early hiccup with a deposit scanner, but they dropped everything and drove right to our offices to help. 
we couldn't feel better about our decision to switch. Instead of calling an 800 number and navigating through automated menus, now I call my Commerce National Bank Relationship Officer directly for any questions we have. Just knowing that they're so easily accessible and willing to help really puts me at ease. They offer the same technology as the big banks, but deliver it with superior service and training. They're also rated a full five stars by Bauer Financial. So if your organization is a small or medium-sized business in Orange County, you should make the switch too. Call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit him online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they'll handle the rest. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Math for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Math for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmathforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show, heard exclusively here on octalkradio.net. If you are an active listener of our program, you know that you can listen to the program live here online as we stream it, or you can listen to it as a podcast through Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and the other podcasting services that we use. I'd like to thank those of you that listen via podcast. Our data says that we've down, that you've downloaded over 7,000 copies of our shows over the past 30 days, and we here at the program and the radio station appreciate your continued support. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net, or, as I said, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcasting services. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, criticalmassforbusiness.com, to learn more about every radio show in the series of the Critical Mass Radio Show series. As I said before the break, our second guest here on the program today is Tyler Russell. Tyler, welcome to the radio program. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Let's get started by talking about you a little bit. I know before your latest endeavor, which is KX 93.5 FM, Laguna's FM radio station, you worked for K-Earth, Hot 92.3, KISS FM in L.A. What important learning happened for you during your time when you were interning at those stations and before starting your own radio station? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it was more of a realization of what's not happening in radio that kind of led me to do what I, I am doing. And okay. not a lot of people my age, I'm 24 now, but uh, not a lot of people, I was 19 when I was interning there in L.A. I mean, nobody my age wanted to do that. It was, you know, maybe you want to go into TV or you want to be a celebrity. And not a lot of kids had a lot of affinity for radio, which okay. is a really old medium. Uh, but I, I mean, I did. I loved it. I loved, I loved being in a station. I loved the excitement. I loved the people that came in and out of there. And um, but I, so much of it has changed, and there's so much, uh, I don't know, almost a bitterness or animosity among people who've been in the business for decades oh, really? who have seen it change okay. and seen it uh, become not the medium that they remember it fondly. Sure. Sure. And that's what kind of light bulbed in me is okay. Why are they all being sad about this and not doing anything? And perhaps something should be done. Uh, because I was seeing all these veterans, these old timers, you know, complain and right. and nothing changing. Yeah, that's a very entrepreneurial response to what you sense. Sure. Now, in a spirit of full disclosure, you're in the studio with two uh, people who, in college and after college, fancied themselves to move into the radio industry. Right. And so we maybe are those people that you're talking about who saw radio change greatly. And from understanding the format, which we're going to talk about your radio station right. and the programming a bit, it, it harkens back to the days of a, a freer, more right. disc jockey-influenced radio right. format. And then also a relationship that can be built between the disc jockey, the artist, and the audience. Which is very much lost now. It is very much yeah. lost that in the formulaic and programmed. And, and I've read some of the media coverage that you've had. Mm-hmm. It's 
regardless of what city you're in, you can probably hear, I think you used Ryan Seacrest as your example. Sure. In the morning. Anywhere. You hear the same 40 songs. You hear the same few DJs. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate thing that it's become so corporate and money driven yes. that, uh, you know, research shows that people like that guy and these songs. <laughs> so, research. So let's play them everywhere. Right. It's it's just an unfortunate corporate thing that okay. uh, you know. There's two schools of thought. There's that one right. that you know. Let's play the same popular stuff that everybody likes everywhere, or the let's mom and pop this back to what it used to be. Right. You know, small individualized owners that can play what they want and talk about what they want to try to connect to the audience better. Right. Yeah. And I think that model requires more connection with the community because you have to really understand if what you're playing is working with the audience that's listening sure. to you directly, right? You can't map it across a larger demographic. You can't say, well, no. it's playing well in Houston. Why isn't it working as well in L.A.? Right. You're in Laguna, and you need to make sure that the community is connected to your to your program. Yeah, you have to highly localize it, and that's that's what's gone from um, corporate, you know, big market radio is it's no longer local. You listen to Seacrest in L.A., just using him as an example yeah. again, sure. He's a he, recognized name, Yeah, right? I mean, he's he's talking about the same stuff there that he's talking about to a family in Michigan. Right. So there's no connection. But right. all we talk about, for example, is stuff that's happening in Laguna. We play Laguna artists every hour. So we really want to relate it to the community that we're in, kind of like you guys do with Orange County. I mean, it's, right. you know, wherever you are is where it should be related to. Right. And and I applaud you as does Paul Roberts, who is the engineer for today's <laughs> program, as, as do the ownership here of octalkradio.net. I'm so excited as someone who believes in the power of radio right. to see someone like you as an entrepreneur making a dent in it here in the Orange County Thank you very much. Which is why I wanted to have you on Critical Mass. The audience for Critical Mass tends to be business owners, CEOs, largely here in Southern California, but not exclusively because we have a national following now since we've been doing the show for so long. So right. tell, tell me from your perspective with Spotify and Pandora, Internet radio like OC Talk Radio, sure. as alternatives and gaining in popularity – what do you feel the impact of that has been on radio, and how is radio changing, or is it in danger, radio in general, of mm -hmm. becoming the print, uh, the print equivalent of radio? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Pandora, Spotify, uh, back to the iPod, iTunes, those are the reasons that program directors in big corporate radio have felt that it needs to change, because all of a sudden, people have um, access to any song they want in their car, and they no longer need to rely on a DJ to pick them. So becomes less important the DJ in, in programmers' minds. Okay, I because, can, can follow that logic. You know what I mean? Because, right. oh, well, we don't need somebody to pick songs anymore. Let's do it by machine. Right. And, and let's, let, let's not talk to them as much because they don't want to hear us talk. Study right. shows they want music and they right. want the songs they want to hear. So let's play those because otherwise they're just going to get it on their iPod or Pandora in the car. Yeah, but Tyler... No disc jockey can play my song set the same way I can because I know true. the music that I like. The value in listening to uh, a freeform radio station or alternative rock or an open format is I learn music that I hadn't heard before. Right. And based on that, then I can go on my own course of discovery. That sounds like something that's lost in corporate radio today. I agree with that. They, they wait till something is popular before they put it on. Very rarely are you discovering... Um, just from a musical standpoint, are you discovering something new? Right. You never are. I mean, you right. discover on your own. Um, maybe you discover it before the, the pop station does, and then by the time you're already singing along to it once they've started playing it the first time. Right. You know, so, yeah, I think uh, in our case, and I think in other stations like our cases, we're really trying to get catch a song before it gets popular and right. you know, introduce it to people before the big stations play it. And it doesn't even have to be new music, though, right? I no. mean, it can, be a, it can be a cut from an artist for, who didn't get a lot of airplay back in the day, but right. your disc jockey, your station likes it because you know it fits your vibe, and you help expose people to music that maybe has been around for decades that they just never heard before. Right, and if we play, for example, like a Doors song or Janis Joplin or something like that, we dig up a B-side or something okay. that, you, that you don't hear on all the classic rock stations because people are like, wow, I didn't even know Jim Morrison did that song. Yeah, that's a cool feeling that you right. Right. Heard the same artist for fifty years, but the station been playing the same same song. Right, I was sampling your station earlier today. Yeah. I have to say online because I I know that you right. also stream it online. And the the your afternoon disc jockey actually put a set together where there was an interrelationship between one song to the next song, mm -hmm. and there was a reason why he played them in sequence because there's a story about the music that I think is lost today in FM radio. Sure, no disc jockey's telling you the inspirational creativity or the genesis of it and i think so much of the artist's creativity comes from muses outside of themselves it's sort of lost in today's 
corporate style of radio, which I was really encouraged just in my small sampling with you yeah. an earlier day that I was actually kind of hearing that creativity brought back to radio. I appreciate that. I'm glad that you found that in that in that small sample. That's what we're trying to do. Right. Yeah. And and that gives, I think, the disc jockey a heavy responsibility to program a story around their, their set, mm-hmm. which is wonderful for those of you that are uh, creative types and want to get in radio. Maybe we're seeing the tide changing here. Well, we we hope we hope that we can start some sort of change with it. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's the classic David and Goliath story of you know going up against a huge huge corporation, um, you know, a couple of them, two or three of them. But uh, if if you know, with the low power FM act, I don't know if you're familiar. It's a whole other tangent, but yeah. that's um, that's going to pop up a lot more low powers this fall or so, uh, maybe it might take a year or so, but when they do get approved, we're going to see a lot more of these mom-and-pop-owned stations, and hopefully the public will realize uh, how important it is to preserve that kind of radio and how different it is because people my age don't even know any different. You know, most people my age never even knew that radio used to be Right, really cool. Jim you know? Ladd and Elton. Oh yeah, you play a whole album set and you'd listen to the tracks and actually you heard an entire album. Right, both uh, an album, ladies and gentlemen, or what predates a CD. <laughs> yeah. sorry, and way before the MP3. So I, I think I'm dating myself here. I'm, and I, I, I love Jim Ladd that you bring that up. I read both of his books and uh, he got fired from KLOS about a year ago, the last freeform DJ in America. Right, um, for in favor of a computer. Too bad. Very sad. Yeah, very sad. So not only are you an entrepreneur. You're also reviving, I think, and you're bringing back a bit of people's sensibility to the power of what music can do in their lives because music is a very uh, powerful thing that brings you back in time and connects you to emotions that you've forgotten about. And I'm really encouraged by what you're doing. Thank so you. let, let's let's talk about your uh, station because you're you're attempting to bring we're, like you're bringing it back to its roots of what FM's roots were, right? right? As an alternative to AM, which is an older format, sure. and FM came later. Um, can you discuss your specific programming philosophy? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we we play what we call the bottom 40. Uh, my music director and I will look at stuff that's just now upcoming, maybe just hitting the bottom of the charts, and we okay. see what our audience, we think our audience would like, and we play that stuff and try to start trends with that music before... You know, we're trying to be the trendsetters. Right. Uh, you know, somebody's got to kind of set the pace for the music. Right. Um, Somebody has to help the artist to break their music into right, the consciousness right. of the of the population. Right? And it's impossible to be an artist these days um, unless you get you know discovered on YouTube or something. <laughs> because media, right? you know, going the radio route is nearly impossible right. now. You used There's to be no... able to walk into a station, hand them a CD. Yes. Um, now you get laughed at. You know, unless you go through all the proper outlets and have the right production company and promotion company and record label and. So when I was in college back in the univer- at the University of Pittsburgh, I worked for a time for A&M Records. Mm-hmm. I was a part of their college radio station okay. team trying to help artists to get played on college stations. Because back in those days, it was still hard to get on AM and FM stations, and college stations generally were more open to playing right. new music. Right. Still and, are. Yeah, and, yeah. and I had a hand in helping to break police, at least in western that's Pennsylvania. Cool. That's cool. That's a so, claim to so fame. So I got that going for yeah. me, right. And, and I remember when we were playing the music... People were asking, who is that? What is that? I right. mean, now police is well-recognized, but it was sort of fun to be in that environment and being able to help people discover new music that obviously had great legs. Yeah, and we found that, too. You know, I've been really impressed because the demographic of Laguna Beach, where we are, is obviously a little older, uh-huh. um, and we play fairly young people music. I mean, we're a bunch of 20-somethings running a radio station, so we play a lot of classic rock, but our, our playlist, Lynn's pretty younger, okay. and they've uh, discovered stuff they love. We get calls every day, like, who is this? I, <laughs> you know, they I feel, they feel like kids, like, yes. discovering this, which is a, an amazing feeling for us, you know? Yes, and I can tell you, okay, we're going to take our, ne- our next commercial break, but I just want to tell you, I feel terrible being disconnected from new music, sure. not recognizing artists, because unless someone tells me about it or I discover it on iTunes, before you and I have this conversation, I really didn't know where I could go to, to learn the kind of music that I wanted to listen to right. coming from the next generation. Right. So we're going to talk more about this. Tyler Russell is our guest here on Critical Mass Radio Show. We're going to take our third and final commercial timeout, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about his nonprofit FM radio station. We'll be back after these words. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. (laughs) 
Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching this demographic of decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. We deliver over 20,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions a month. If you'd like to learn more, then contact our advertising department at Critical Mass Radio Shows, 949-887-4101. All right, let's get back to Tyler Russell. Tyler, we're talking about all things FM radio. I'm curious about your business model. Since we do have CEOs and business owners that are listening, share with us the business model behind your radio station. Well, we are a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. Um, Most low-power FMs are set up that way. Uh, traditionally, it's it's a, a church group or an Indian reservation or a college. That's who runs these these size of stations. We have a much bigger sound, and a lot of people don't kind of realize we're a nonprofit for that reason. But we are. We have uh, we survive based on memberships, underwriting, and uh, a couple events that we're doing throughout the year. Okay. We have got about we've been around for about eight months. We've got about three hundred members in Laguna. Uh, it's fifty bucks to become a member. So that's been good. That's been sustainable for us. And um, you know, we're the only radio station that you can pick up down there. So um, underwriting has been pretty good because okay. uh, local businesses want to reach that area, and we're the only thing that comes in clearly on the FM dial. Okay. So people uh, people underwrite with us that way. We threw a gala casino night. We're raffling off a car this summer. I so, saw that on your website. Yeah. yeah so we're just cool we're just car, too, creative. Not just a car, right? Yeah. It's a 1970 Oldsmobile Cutlass convertible. It's pretty cool. It's, it's t- beautiful. Tickets are also 50 bucks on our website. Okay. But yeah, we're we're trying to come up with creative fundraising ideas. You know, hip fundraising ideas in, in collaboration with the traditional membership model. Okay. So as an entrepreneur. Take us back. Take our audience back that maybe doesn't know the genesis for how you ended up with this sure. low-powered FM and how you chose to locate it where you located it. So just give us a snapshot of kind of from nothing to something those early days. Yeah, I mean, I was working in Palm Springs at the time. I was on a, a station out there, a rock station, a corporate station, kind of became this this bitter, burnt-out 22-year-old, you know, <laughs> which was an unfortunate thing to have at that age. Well, maybe but, it's a good thing. Yeah, well, no, it was. It, it led to something awesome. But, you know, I was just kind of perusing stations in Orange County because I went to school at Chapman, and I kind of wanted to get back here, and I was tired of the heat. And, Amen. Um, yeah, and I uh, was perusing stations. I found that was dark, KXRN, LP, Laguna Niguel, um, and it was owned by a church, Shepherd of the Hills Church in Laguna Niguel, and I contacted the guy, and he'd, he'd had the station since Low Powers were released about 15 years ago. He was just never able really to get it on the air. Like here and there, he got it on the air, and he was in danger of losing his license because he couldn't get it on the air. And the FCC says if you're dark for three years in a row, I think that's the rule, you uh, lose your license. Okay. So we approached him. He said, you know, if we can help you get this thing on the air now where you're currently located, would you be interested in, in transferring it to us? And you reimburse them for their costs of whatever they've put into it. You can't actually sell it. You can only reimburse them for a transfer fee. And... uh and he was. I mean, they didn't. Have, they weren't doing anything with it. Okay. So it was honestly luck on whatever website I was on that found this particular station that I noticed was off the air. Uh-huh. You're allowed to relocate a transmitter 5.6 kilometers. So we found a studio that's exactly 5.6 kilometers <laughs> away from the church and put our transmitter Woo. there. Yeah, it was really, it was just very fortuitous, everything. Right. It's meant to be. Yeah, and uh, you also have to be 125 mile or kilometers north of Mexico to broadcast at a certain level of wattage. Okay. And we're like 127 kilometers north of Mexico. So we kind of nailed the spot, and we moved it literally right to the beach. We're right on this, like, almost steps okay. from the sand in Laguna Beach um, to a really cool spot that we thought would be... Uh, a lot hipper, a lot more beach community, and it's been a really cool vibe. Did you want Laguna Beach to be the home for your radio station? I had spent a lot of time there. I mean, I, I knew, A, that you couldn't pick up radio there. So okay. that was just me seeing a need for okay. something. That's a entrepreneurial um, talent. Sure. And, and B, it's such an eclectic, creative community right. that has a lot of artists. Right. Um, uh, and by that, I mean not, not just painters, but musicians who play you know, in, in bars, dirty bars all around Orange County, and they don't have an outlet to really express their, their craft. Uh-huh. And I knew that. I mean, they would just eat this up and they have 
Um, so being an outlet for local music and all this creative expression that is so, uh, you know, needs an outlet in Laguna has been has been the other big thing about it. I've been impressed with how much local media coverage you've been able yeah, to me garner. Too. <laughs> and, and, and so can you help us understand, how did you do that? Um, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I, I got... I got contacted by one newspaper right when we started, and it just kind of blew it from there. And I, I think it's the story because I'm so young. I mean, that's that's a big selling point for media right. that you don't see a lot of 22 year olds starting a radio station. You know, right? Um, they like that, and they really like the fact that the last radio station, Laguna Beach, was in 1951. You know, it was it was out some some guy's Volkswagen bus on <laughs> Pearl Beach or something. You know, it was <laughs> totally bootlegged, but right. people remember that. Uh, and people were quoted having remembered that station and, and listening to it and really being attracted to it. And all of a sudden, you know, they've been 70 years later, they finally have a station again and they're thrilled. Um, so I think it was a combo of just kind of the story of how it came to be and why didn't why think of that. And now right. we've got a station. Right. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It can't hurt to get additional coverage. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, in your opinion, I talk with the owner of OCTalkRadio.net all the time about this. There really is not much Orange County radio not at all we're L- hit, la we're eats hit, us up L- exactly yeah. and why do you think that is that there's not a lot of local media on the radio side here in orange county you know it's interesting if, if orange county were a media market it would be a top 10 market right. based on its based on its population but for whatever reason i don't know I, I guess it's an fcc question of why they set up orange county as part of los angeles because all of our media even our tv is la news and weather and traffic yeah, I don't. I don't know the answer to why. Okay, I agree that there needs to be a lot more, and it's the whole idea of why isn't there local programming where I live? That's true of Orange County, which is a huge place. We don't even have local programming for our own county, right? You know, and, and, and people like OC Talk Radio and people like us, and maybe uh, KSBR and KOCI and KUCI. Those are kind of the only examples of, and, and it's all small things, right? You know, so right. I think there should be more of it, but we're all doing our part to cover various areas of the county, and I think we're doing an okay job. I think so, too, and I think it's great that you're on this station because I wanted to expose you as an entrepreneur and your station to our audience so that people realize there's this valuable product in our midst, and maybe they can begin to listen either online or on their FM station if they're in vicinity. How far does your signal travel? It's about 10 square miles. It goes from, if you're familiar with South Orange County, from about Crown Valley and PCH to about Crystal Cove. Okay. Um, So it's literally the 10 miles of Laguna Beach, and then it goes up uh, about halfway up Laguna Canyon Road. Okay. And the reason why it's so hard to pick up FM down there is because of the canyons and the mountainous regions. And we we think it's funny, we can bring a radio on a boat and go out like 20 miles and still hear it. (laughs) But if you're driving anywhere around inland, you kind of lose it. You lose it. Um, but but we do cover Laguna well, and we do find that a lot of people, once they get out of the canyon, they'll pop it up on their iPhone. They'll listen to it on their computer once right. they get to work. Right, because um, you're streaming simultaneously. Right, and people can plug in their phone right to their car and listen that way, which has been really cool. I'm glad people have, have figured that out. Right. So your signal can be found across the country. Sure. If you look at it that way, it's worldwide. Right. Yeah. How exciting. Yeah. What a great blend of technologies. Right. All right. You're a graduate of Chapman. Yeah. You mentioned that. I'm curious, how much do you think, in your opinion, your education and your training at Chapman prepared you to be an owner of a radio station here in Orange County? Quite a bit. I mean, uh, I, I ran the station there. I was the general manager of the station there. And I, I've said a couple times that running this station is kind of like a grown-up version of the of the college station I ran. Because I've still got a bunch of volunteer DJs that I'm wrangling. You know, we're still... Uh, we're still deciding what really indie bands to add. I mean, it's just, it's a more adult version, but I think it absolutely prepared me for it. And I was able to create my own major at Chapman. I designed my own major called Multimedia Journalism because there's not really a radio major. And I knew it's what I wanted to do. So I kind of centered it around that idea and the ideas I had as a, as an undergrad and kind of made my own program. And they were totally open to that. And you know, I'm still good friends with uh, the president and the dean, and they really appreciate what I'm doing. It's just such a tight community. Right. So, it, yeah, it's been it's been really great. Well, it's good for Chapman University to have someone such as yourself oh, getting thanks. recognition in Orange County yeah. and doing something unique and different for the community. Dean Price is actually on our board of directors. So yeah. that's good. It all goes back. That is. So I did want to ask you about how you're using social media and the Internet to expand the awareness for your station. Okay. I mean, it's obviously a big, I mean, something we do every day just in our demographic. So, and it's, it's been a really big part of our promotion. Whenever we have a band in studio or something who has a pretty big Twitter following, we say, hey guys, why don't you just tweet out a picture of yourselves in here? Right. And then their fans will retweet it, their fans will retweet it. And then all of a sudden we have some more listeners. Or if uh, a band's in Facebook, we tag them in the Facebook picture. So that, I mean, it's all about 
using other people's Facebook or Twitter bases to build your own. Right. Because people aren't just going to find you unless they're looking for you for the most part. Someone has to mention you in a tweet or mention you in a Facebook post or like something you post on Facebook. That way their friends will find it and their friends will find it. Right. So we always encourage people, especially with bigger fan bases than ours. We just ask them nicely and say, you know, can you tweet a little something about our radio station? That's how it's grown. And, you know, we got about 3,000 Facebook likes or so now, which has been, Great. yeah, it's been a good a good base for us. And you've been on eight months? Is that what I heard? Eight months. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about the future. Where do you see this going, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like I mentioned, I do want it to be a trend-setting station for other stations to follow. I mean, it's it's not just my own selfish dream to have a cool radio station. I really want the industry to change. I really want, you know, the big corporate stations to be afraid that the local stations are oh, going to be more important than that them. That would be good. Yeah, wouldn't it? Yes. I mean, that that's that's my goal as far as the industry goes. As far as the station goes... Um, I just want, I want it to gain some national recognition. I mean, it's, it's very well known in Laguna Beach now. And I think Laguna is a really marketable, cool place. Right. And uh, people from around the country would want to listen on their iPhone or on their computer because it's Laguna, because we play cool music, and because we're doing radio the old right way. How many trends have been developed and started in some part of California that have moved across the country and then right. around the world? Maybe, ladies and gentlemen, this is another trend. And you're hearing the entrepreneur who's behind it. I love that. Talking, I do too. I think <laughs> it's a great idea. I, I'm in your corner and rooting for you. Thank you. To be successful. So if someone wants to find you on the dial, if they want to find you online, how do they do that? Sure. Um, if you want to listen outside of Laguna Beach, just go to kx93.5.com. You can also type that in right on your phone. Uh, any, any mobile device will work, but your computer also. Click listen right there in the top and you're going. If you're in town, it's on 93.5. Once you kind of past Big Bend on the canyon or past Crown Valley or past uh, the Shake Shack going south on PCH from Crystal Cove. Those are the places you can pick it up. Well, this is a great not only uh, lesson in reviving radio, the revival of FM radio, but it's also for entrepreneurs and business owners. Sometimes markets get neglected and go away and they disappear, but there is still a need and a hungering maybe from the consumers for it. Be that person, ladies and gentlemen, as an entrepreneur to go out and find those unmet needs and recreate something it doesn't have to all be brand new yeah. it can be a good idea that's gotten lost and so uh, tyler russell thanks for being a friend of the program yeah welcome to our critical mass community we're going to have you back in the future because i'd love to keep a relationship between critical mass radio show octalkradio.net and your station thanks yeah absolutely all right ladies and gentlemen uh my engineer is letting me know the time is up here for critical mass radio show on octalkradio.net i'd like to thank our engineer today paul roberts our producer is Rachel Franzi. Our marketing communications manager is Kelly Faltus. And our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. This is your host, Rick Franzi, saying until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio right here on octalkradio.net.